0: I want to wish you a good evening here after this uh, most of a day of meditation for you. It's still morning here, and I've just had my breakfast. And at least most of you are still here, so that's a good sign. (laughs) I was looking over the retreat description. Just now. And I've been talking a lot, <clears throat> you've both been talking a bit about this quality or mental factor of mind, mind possibility of, of awareness, which you might notice right now. Maybe just feel your body sitting, bring your awareness to the body in the sitting posture or however you're, maybe you're <clears throat> reclining a bit or relaxing. I'm just feeling that. Or lately, for some reason, especially this, this retreat, I my attention has been a lot in, in my hands touching when I sort of check in with this quality of awareness. So this is is something that isn't always there, but the potential for it to be there is always there. And it has this capacity to bring us into present moment connection with our life, with our experience in, in the body, in the mind, and in the world around us. Feel the body sitting, aware of seeing, hearing the sounds that are coming in through my window. And simple and direct. And so in the description, I said, this awareness allows us to open to and connect with the truth of each moment. That might sound like something special and not just the simplicity of feeling your hands touching or being aware of sounds, the sound of my voice, but it's really just that. But then of course, when we show up for these experiences, simple, mundane, nothing special, sound of my neighbor working on their their garden in some way. I don't know if that's, if you can hear it, I hope not. I'll have to shut the window. Okay, good. (laughs) Or feeling my hands touching or my feet on the floor. That's nothing special. Although there are things about nature that are revealed through these simple everyday experiences. Deeper things, you could say, or more subtle truths subtle aspects of reality. And so then the next part of the retreat description says this, as we gain confidence in the mind's ability to recognize this natural awareness, we begin to re-release the burden or the weight of trying to control, manipulate, or fix experience so that it meets our ideas of the way it should be and relax into the truth of the way it actually is. Now if I were if I were writing this now I think I would say as we gained confidence and trust in this awareness to recognize confidence in the mind's ability to recognize and trust this natural awareness. Because in a way I think that's a lot of what we're we're doing here is is finding this quality of mindfulness, this mindful awareness, seeing that it's something that's trustworthy and reliable, more reliable perhaps than than all of the different changing experiences we might have. And so this evening I'll, I'll speak to this somewhat indirectly perhaps but also touching on this this sense that somehow through this trust and awareness we release this burden or weight of trying to control and fix and manipulate the conditions of our life so that they're they meet some ideas of how we think it's supposed to be and in this sense of relaxing into the truth of the way it actually is. Maybe some pointers towards that kind of, that, that understanding what that might mean. So I think I might have mentioned, I can't remember now, uh, but I think I mentioned, or one of us mentioned that that we draw the instructions for meditation from a particular teaching of the, in the, uh, what's called the Pali texts, the, the collection of teachings of the historical Buddha referred to. And this is a text in one of the collections that are, is called the middle length teachings or discourses, and it's called the Satipatthana Sutta. I'm sure many of you are heard of it or know it. It's very beloved. And in places like Burma and Thailand and in Buddhist countries, Theravada Buddhist countries. A lot of people memorize it and will chant it. Will repeat it. It's a very beloved teaching. And the word Satipatthana is like so many words in the Pali language made up of two two other words, two shorter words. So the word for mindfulness is sati, spelled S-A-T-I, sati. And then the word upatana, which gets combined to make satipatana, means establishment. And so usually, often the word satipatana, it's been the way I first learned it, it was translated as foundations of mindfulness, but the literal meaning is establishments of mindfulness. And I like this way of translating it because to me, it, it emphasizes the, the establishing of the quality of mindfulness, of awareness, that that's what's important, it's established. And so there's the emphasis on that rather than on the object. So the key to the practice is this quality of mindfulness. This is the, uh, the key that opens the door to the Buddha's teachings and um, points to the fact that anything that arises can serve as a vehicle for insight. This is important, really important for us to uh, remember because, you know, a lot of things in our experience, so you've been sitting maybe a lot or at least some today, sitting in meditation, practicing meditation and in walking posture and sitting posture and going through your day and you probably had a range of experiences and some of them seem okay and some of them seem really nice and some of them are not very pleasant and some of them you don't like. Some of them seem like they're a problem, and it's that whole range. And in terms of our emotional life, we have all the range of joys and sorrows and good times and difficult times, and that's just life. Life includes all of that. But in meditation, we can often feel like certain kinds of experiences are problems. They're in the way. they're keeping us from meditating. But in this way of practicing, there's the understanding that nothing that arises as is inherently a problem. And so there's this, the thing reason this is really profound and and important understanding is because it, it can help us to release the tendency to see certain things as wrong or bad or something that shouldn't be happening or as in the way. Because with this practice, there is this implicit understanding that if it is in the way, it is the way. Does that make sense? If something seems to be in our way, that's actually the way. (laughs) It's The way is through, not somehow around. We don't get to go around anything. So that takes delicacy and some, some skill that we develop over time. But it's really important um, to have this attitude. If this is in my way, it actually is the way. So that way, everything that arises is not only included in the meditation, but can be seen and understood to be the very vehicle for our understanding to arise, for insight to arise. And so this touches into this uh, part of the description where where it says it relieves us of the need to try to control our experience because from the perspective of meditation, all all things that we can experience are, are the same or equal because what we're interested in are what we could call the characteristics or qualities that are part of any experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether we like it or we don't like it. I see a very young yogi just showed up (laughs) in one of the pictures, a very, very young one, makes me happy to see. My young child. So, this is actually, to me, this is a real great relief and also kind of personally empowering because if if our meditation and our practice and our freedom and ease and contentment and the peace that the Buddha was pointing at is dependent on having things be only a certain way, on having a certain experience or achieving a special state of mind or something, then, then what happens when that's not there? And we can't get that to happen or when it goes away. Then there's a problem and we have to fix it. And so we have this endless task of trying to fix and manipulate our experience so that it's only a certain way the way we want it and there's there's no real freedom there and the buddha didn't have that capacity he didn't get to say let it only be this way or that way he had all kinds of he had his range of good days and bad days and there were days when people his his jealous cousin tried to kill him by having him getting a mad elephant to try to run him down or People who would spread rumors about him, uh, engaging in, you know, inappropriate behaviors, uh, chasing after other people's wives, or all kinds of things. You know, he had those kinds of experiences where his his reputation was uh, questioned, and he had physical problems. He had chronic back pain. Um, so he he had the kinds of things that come to us in a life. You know, if we have a mind and a body and live in the world, then we get the range of joys and sorrows. Or uh, one, I forget, maybe it's the Japanese the Zen tradition or the Tibetans talk about the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. That sounds more like the Chinese Chan, more like a Chinese saying, life is composed of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And so... The, the freedom that the Buddha was pointing to is not through gaining some kind of control to have things, to only get the 10,000 joys. <laughs> it would be nice. But, and if you're hoping that I'll, we're going to be giving you a special tool so that that's what you get is only the 10,000 joys, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but but we're going to get it the range. So then... Then what, what we're doing here is, is moving towards coming into a kind of alignment and harmony with this range of pleasant and unpleasant of joys and sorrows with this life right now in this moment the way it is, because the next moment is just going to be another version of that. It's not going to suddenly get way, way better. So it's in that relational field, that's where freedom is found, is in the relation to experience, not in the controlling of experience. So we're not here to get something we don't have. We have everything we need and have everything we're ever going to have. And we're not here to go somewhere other than where we are. We're not going from here to there we're going deeper into here more deeply into here right here right now so i want to say a little bit about this this teaching in this of uh, the satipatthana sutta it's very detailed meditation instructions it's the, the most detailed set of instructions for insight or vipassana meditation in the entire pali canon and and this And it's framed in these four four establishments of mindfulness, as I just defined it. So it includes, but it includes everything. It's just kind of puts it into these sort of ways of seeing all of our lives. So that's a cool thing is that it doesn't leave anything out. And so You don't have to remember this or worry about it, because if you just are mindful, it happens by itself. But these four uh, ways that we look at experience are, I'm going to just say, give a brief, um, a little brief uh, overview of this teaching. There's mindfulness of the body, so the physical form, mindfulness directed to that, mindfulness directed to uh, what is called feeling tone. Or the Pali word is Vedana. And Vedana means very specifically the quality of something being either pleasant, agreeable and pleasant, disagreeable or unpleasant, or neither one of those, which we could say uh, neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So it's that very specific aspect of, of anything that arises. So, for example, right now, my neighbor is using a motorized lawnmower to cut their grass. And I can hear that sound. It seems like maybe it's not coming through too badly to you. And if it is, I'll shut my window. So that sound, to me, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But that's my experience. If you were sitting here with me, you might find it unpleasant. And there might be somebody somewhere who would find it pleasant. I might even find it pleasant if I were meditating and my mindfulness is really, there's a chance I could find it pleasant, but my experience of it is neutral, right? It's not in the sound, it's in in each of us, it's not the same for any one of us. So I, I won't go into this too much, maybe I'll talk more about it in the morning, I think I'll, I'll say, but anyway, it's that quality. Then the third foundation, so that applies to everything, so that includes everything. Right? Everything has that feeling tone, we don't always see it, but some examples, like if you, let's say that um, you have a, something to eat that is really a favorite thing, or maybe a dessert, a, a dessert you really like, and you have a bite of, say, say, you really love ice cream and you taste some, that experience is probably very clearly pleasant. Or say that it's, um, or you eat something that you really hate, <laughs> so when you accidentally take a bite of something that, you know, you just don't like at all then that, the unpleasantness of it is very clear to you. And then the things that are neither of those, we tend not to really notice. We tend just to not to notice those things. And then the third uh, establishment of mindfulness is called mindfulness of mind, the word in Pali citta. chitta means kind of mind, but also heart. So it's the emotional uh, side of things, as well as the, the thinking mind. But what this is, is really the quality in the mind, like the weather report of the mind. So it's it's a very simple uh, thing of knowing if the mind is uh, scattered or collected, if it's calm or restless, if it's awake or sleepy, if it's... Uh, broad and open or narrow and contracted, if it's concentrated or unconcentrated and so forth. So it's just knowing it's like this, this is how the mind is. So you might just check right now, What's the mind like, you know, maybe it's uh, bored, maybe there's a feeling of boredom and restlessness. This is the mind affected by boredom and restlessness. Maybe it's interested, maybe dull. So it's just kind of not not so much the contents, but the, yeah, like the weather. <laughs> I think it's like the weather. It's stormy with a, cloudy with a chance of rain, bright and sunny, so forth. And then the last one is mindfulness directed to what are called Dhammas. And this is kind of more like um, seeing patterns of experience, seeing, um seeing, looking at experience through a certain kind of a lens, you could say. And it includes such things as um, a lot of the teachings of the Buddha, but seeing things in terms of the presence of, of uh, something that gets in uh, what we would call a hindrance or um, seeing you know, the mind in terms of context at the different sense doorways, um, at the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, and tongue, the body, the mind. So um, again, I don't wanna go into it, but the the important thing to know is that these for satipatthana, include our entire experience there's nothing that is left out of that and if we're practicing mindfulness they they do themselves we don't have to do them so don't think of it as oh now i have this big project of not only remembering what these are but then working my way through them it's not really like that Um, okay for example if i sit here and i feel uh, my hands touching Then I'm mindful of the body and sensations there, pressure and coolness and tension. And then mindfulness becomes aware of the sound of the lawnmower. Let's say at this moment, that strikes me as unpleasant. So there's uh, the feeling tone. And then I notice contraction in the mind, the mind uh, saying, I don't like that, wish he would stop. Okay, that's the third foundation. And then I might realize that that aversion is also um, falls into the category of what are called the hindrances, which is in the fourth foundation. So then I've, without trying, they're, they're all four there. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. So I want to talk a little bit more tonight about the first of these the, the arena of, of the body, mindfulness of the body. There's a teaching in one of the collections called the Kaya Gata Sati Vaga. Vaga means, what Vaga means, discord. It's another word for a teaching or verses. Kaya is the word for body. Gata means gone. And Sati, mindfulness. So that word Kaya Gata Sati is literally body, gone, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Pali arranges words in that order, or you could say mindfulness gone to the body. Kayagatasati. And in that teaching, uh, the Buddha talked about, um, he praised this practice of mindfulness of the body. I'm going to read a few passages from that teaching. Even as one who encompasses with their mind the mighty ocean, includes thereby all the rivulets, rivulets small streams that run into the ocean. Just so, O practitioners, whoever develops and cultivates mindfulness directed to the body, includes thereby all the wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge. One thing, practitioners, if developed and cultivated leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. One thing, oh, practitioners, if developed and cultivated, leads to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. Say that's to awakening, to enlighten the Buddha's enlightenment. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. So, basically saying, this is a good practice. This leads you to freedom, <laughs> to deep insight, understanding. So, okay, that's good. It's worth exploring this. So this section in the teaching, I wanna just go over it briefly, because it's quite, it's, I think it's the longest section in the whole uh, sutta and the whole discourse, and it um, has a lot of details. The one on mindfulness of mind is very short. It just basically says, know what it's like. Know if the mind is concentrated, if it's not concentrated. Know if the mind is um, restless or if it's dull. If there's desire and wanting in the mind or if there isn't. Very simple. I'll maybe talk about that more later. So the, the section on mindfulness of the body starts with mindfulness of the breathing. The first part is simply knowing that breathing is happening. Mindful, one breathes in. Mindfully, one breathes out. So just try it now. Are you just be aware of an in-breath, an out-breath, wherever you notice it. Then the second part of this with the breath, breathing in long, one knows I breathe in long. Breathing out long, one knows I breathe out long. Breathing in short, one knows I breathe in short. Breathing out short, one knows I breathe out short. So it's just knowing a little more closely what it's like. And we can see this change. Sometimes the breath is long and slow and deep. Sometimes it's kind of medium. Sometimes the breath in meditation gets very, very fine. And it's very light, very short is the word used here. So it's just knowing it's like that. Then breathing in experience, the whole body. There's a couple of ways. Sometimes it's looked at as the whole body of a breath. So the entire in-breath and the entire out-breath. But sometimes it's a sense of the breath within the whole body, the whole body breathing, either of these ways of seeing that. And then uh, the breath is used To intentionally calm, to cultivate calm and tranquility. Breathing in, I calm the body and the mind. Breathing out, I calm. So it's inviting calm, you could say, through a connection to the breath. And then the next section of this teaching is about different postures. So when walking, one knows one is walking. When standing, one knows one is standing. When sitting, one knows one is sitting. When lying down, one knows. Lying down. And those are the four postures. I had a fifth one in between sitting and standing. One knows I am in between sitting and standing. I'm in between standing and lying there, for example. So it's just knowing bodies like this. So right now I know I'm sitting and I know that I'm sitting. Very simple. Then the next part is about activities. So going forward and coming back, looking ahead, looking away, looking behind, flexing and extending the limbs. So I'm bending my arm, I'm extending my arm. Wearing clothing. Mindfully, I am aware I'm wearing clothing. Eating, drinking, tasting. Using the toilet, defecating, urinating, going to sleep, waking up, speaking, keeping silent. So it's just mindful of daily stuff, (laughs) walking around, doing stuff. And then there's the parts of the body. And in this ancient uh, teaching, the body was seen in terms of 32 parts. So that began with the hair of the head, the hair on the body the nails of the fingernails, the teeth, skin, internal organs, fluids in the body, blood, and so forth. So there were these 32 parts and one contemplates the body in terms of the the different parts that make it up. And there was a way of seeing it in terms of what are called the elements. And, And the body was seen as composed of earth element, water element fire element and air element and that sounds kind of old-fashioned and we might not um, really think of it that way but i'm going to talk about that actually to some extent uh, this evening but it's it's really these um direct experience of of the body so i'll go into that more we then i'm continuing through this teaching one contemplates the body in terms of its nature to decay so traditionally, one would go might go to a place there were what were called charnel grounds. There were where bodies were left to decompose, to de- decay, and one would contemplate that and say, "Okay, there's. I see this. This body. This is the nature of, of these bodies, and and it's true for my body. At some point, it will decay in that way." I remember some sometimes someone uh, sent me a, a short video. It was a Time lapse, so thing speeded up time lapse of a decaying uh, body of an animal that was in the woods. I think it was a, a fox. And at the beginning of the video, you could see the shape of the body of the animal and the ears and the tail, and it was the fur, and it was looked like a it looked like a fox. And then it went through this over a course of a minute or two. It changed completely in in this process of decaying and by the end of the video, there was just some earth there, and a plant was sprouting up through the earth where the body was. So it was just showing, okay, that's the nature of things. Things are made of this this kind of material they are of the nature to decay. And the last part of this teaching is basically very, very simply just knowing that there is a body. which is right now, okay, we can know there is a body. And the way we experience that is all kinds of different ways. We can look at the form of it. We can feel the sensations there and so forth. So I I want to talk a little bit more about this aspect of the body, way of looking at the body as in terms of these elements, the elements of earth, air, fire, and water, because... Um, this is very actually a very um, kind of a profound shift of the way we see the body. And it was really emphasized by a lot of my teachers in in, uh, in Burma, Sayada U Lakana and Saida Pandita and some of my teachers there spent a lot of time talking about these elements. And so as I was saying, the, the words earth, air, fire, and water might sound kind of like a really old, old style kind of way of thinking about things. And, and it's important to uh, understand that the, what these these words point to our direct experience. So I'll go through these. So the earth element, it's called patavi, patavi dot datu means element, patavi has the way that shows up in our direct experience, are um, are things, the experience of something feeling very solid or hard or textures of smooth textures and rough textures, uh, that kind of thing. So solidity, hardness, softness, roughness and smoothness. The water element apodatuu has characteristics of fluidity, flowing like water in a stream or like a tear moving down your cheek, or cohesion, a stickiness, glueiness. So, um, uh, like yeah, sweat or tears or water moving a stream or a river, that and also. It holds things, it binds things together. It uh, feels sticky. It's like, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do a guided meditation in a little bit. But it's what holds the, the body together. <laughs> so the, the people who study these things would say that the body, um, human body is composed of a lot of water. Um, newborn babies are almost and you really young babies are about 75 or 80% water and people like me and we're getting older, we've gone down to maybe 50, 55% water. We kind of dry out as we get older. So, so you're, you're all somewhere in that range, but that's still a lot of water, at least half. And if you took all the water out of my body, there would just be a pile of dry pieces there. You could sweep them up and, and take them out, put them in the, in the dust bin. Or you could add water and try to put them back together. But I don't know if you get one of these. you'd, <laughs> you'd get just a ball, <laughs> a ball of stuff. but it glues it together. So like when you mix water with flour or with dust and you could get mud or, or uh, if you're baking something, it glues it together. And then the fire, tejo.2 is not so much fire as it is the range of temperature so it's the range from cold to hot so all of the range of temperature so we experience that directly in the body someone reported feeling a lot of heat in the body recently sometimes we'll feel coolness and then the air or wind bio it shows up as movement as pressure tension and vibration so We can uh, feel it directly. Just notice the uh, movement of the breath, and you can feel maybe put your hand on your belly, and you can feel that pressure growing, and there's tightness. Or if you think of it like a, if you blow up a balloon, put air inside it, and it fills the balloon, and there's that that tension there, the movement and the tension. So let's do. Let's spend just a moment with this, with. uh, We'll do some direct experiencing of of the body in this way. So you can sit, maybe with your eyes closed might be uh, good, but you don't have to do it that way. And just sit relaxed, not gonna be a big project here. And let your attention come uh, into your mouth and very gently touch your teeth together. You can feel, feel the hardness of that. Hardness there. Now, let your tongue run over the, the biting edge of your teeth or the, in the back, the part the teeth that chew and you'll feel a rough, rough texture there. Roughness. And if you move your tongue across the, the face, the front of your teeth, you can feel a smoothness. It's very smooth. Those are all aspects of what we call the earth element. Maybe it feels kind of the solidity of, of the teeth in there. And then maybe notice the, I can notice a, uh, water element, saliva, in my mouth. I need to swallow now because there's there's a lot of it. I'm going to swallow. So There's that, the movement of the water, the flowing there. And also now just gently touch your tongue, wet, wet your lips a little bit, just a little, and then kind of close them together and squeeze just a little bit. and then pull your, open your mouth. And it might feel a little bit sticky. You want stickiness in your lips. Put them together and pull them apart. So that's the, the stickiness, the glue, the cohesion of the water element. Now, maybe bring your attention maybe to your hands or or maybe still in, in your mouth and you, you might notice some feeling of warmth or of coolness. Maybe if you breathe through your mouth, that's one way you might notice. When I breathe through the mouth, I feel a coolness there. When I breathe out, I can feel warmth. The air goes in cool, comes out warm. Or maybe with your hands touching where they meet, where one rests in the other, there might be a feeling of some warmth there. Or some other place in the body where the clothing is and it feels warm or the, the breeze, a little bit of breeze or air touching the skin it feels cool. Warmth and coolness, that's the fire element. And then again, we we already sort of checked into the movement of the breath. We feel the movement there and the pressure and the tension in the belly, letting the hand rest on the belly, letting the breath breathe itself. The wind or air element there, or maybe feeling the movement of wind or air across your skin, possibly depending on where you're sitting. So anyway, that's my little short guided tour of the elemental nature of the body. But the thing that's important about it, or useful, I should say, about seeing the body in this way is that it's the direct, that very direct experience of it. It takes us below sort of the surface appearance because we tend to objectify the body. So I... I can look at my computer screen and see all your different bodies and their old ones and young ones. And, you know, all the differences we could name and you can see me. And, and we tend to see the body in that way, or we can, you know, hold up a hand or an arm and look in the mirror and see body in that way. And in, in our, in the United States, at least there's this tendency to see this, it's an object and we we need to we we talk about body consciousness as you know, I've gotta make it be a certain way and fix it and work on it and clean it and cut its hair and you know have it be as good as I can get it to be. And it's this use of maybe, you know, some people I don't use a lot of cosmetics or things, but I put lotion on because it gets really dry here you know, I do things to take care of the body in that way. But a lot of people spend a lot of time really working on it, painting it up and you know, the face especially. And, you know, doing all the things we do to have it look the way we think it's supposed to look or as good as we can get it. And we use our, you know, we look in the mirror and oh, yes, we, we can have, you know, maybe we feel, oh yeah, it's okay. Or maybe, oh God, look that and that no, oh no. And look, it's it's too wide or it's too narrow or it's too whatever. We can use it as a, a relationship to the body as this thing that's not good enough, or else maybe we think, oh, it really is really good, or whatever. It tends to kind of become this thing, this object to be manipulated. But if we experience the body from within the body as we do in meditation, it's a very different experience. And and part of the practice is this sense of becoming embodied in this way. We actually start to inhabit our body rather than just seeing it as this thing that we have to work on all the time. And so if we, in meditation, we start to experience the body in this non-conceptual way, this very direct way, And then we start to see that it's not really a thing. It's more this flow of changing sensations. It's like a process rather than a thing. It's all of those elements. It's roughness and smoothness and warmth and coolness and pressure and tension and vibration. That's the body in meditation. So for example, I can look and see my my arm and hand but if i if i close my eyes and gently move try this just gently lift and lower your arm and hand just a few times just letting it rise up and move down now i can imagine an image of my arm and hand but my direct experience right now is movement, intention, tension, and coolness, and vibration, or whatever. Each of you would describe it in your own way. You can stop doing that if you like. Or you can keep doing it, I don't care. <laughs> Maybe that's a meditation technique that one of my teachers from Thailand used, just gently moving the arm up and down. Kind of a nice practice. So from this perspective of this, there's no there's no arm or hand, there's just movement, coolness, tension, and relaxation. We can't experience arm. That's a kind of a concept, a useful one, arm and hand are useful. I can reach out and take this cup, which I'm allowed to have in the meditation hall because I'm speaking and I get special permission to have something to drink. But only when I'm giving a talk or some instructions and my mouth gets dry. (laughs) So it's not that the bodies aren't real and, you know, I can see each of you and you can see me. and, And, you know, there are this thing here <laughs> and we have to take care of it and do our best to have it be you know exercise it and I like to do my qigong and that involves moving the body and it's real and it's good to care for it but so it's not that we reject the body image and the body on that level but we also um hmm, I'm going on and on right <laughs> I think I'm supposed to end no I get an hour don't I <laughs> I think I get an hour I'll try to not go on too much but we, we discover that we have, we can move between these different ways. So we take care of the body. It needs to be fed and cleaned and um, cared for. And we do it with tenderness and compassion. And we also have this experience of the body on this uh, elemental level, we could say. And there's a kind of dependability. I think this maybe is why the Buddha emphasized mindfulness of the body. It's really useful, and it's dependable in terms of of, um, the information we can gather there. So it's not dependable in that it doesn't change, because clearly it does change, and mine is changing, and it's going in a direction that, you know, sometimes makes it ache a lot and (laughs) hurt more, and the things I did when I was younger are harder. now, I've been having to do a lot of uh, work, household work, that involves lifting heavy objects, and I'll injure myself more easily than I did 40 years ago or whatever. But it's uh, it's reliable because it tends to be very truthful. It shows us the way things are. So if we pay attention to the elemental nature of the body, then what it's going to tell us about is the change of, the truth of change. So It talks about change because it's my body. For example, I use myself as as an example here. It's aging. The body ages. There are times when it gets sick. It's going to get old and eventually it's going to die. And so it tells me the truth about nature in that way, that that's the nature of the body. So it's dependable, reliable. Now the mind can get up to all kinds of nonsense and try to persuade me that I don't have to get old that I can do all these things. And there's a lot of stuff out there in the media, all these, you know, anti-aging things. And some of them maybe are really useful and good products, but they're not going to keep you from aging. (laughs) Because if you take birth into one of these bodies, as soon as you do that, we're heading only in one direction. The little baby just born is heading in the direction of the end of life and dying eventually. That's the trajectory of life. That's the nature of things. So the body is truthful about this. It tells us about change on this subtle level, which is very powerful when we tune into it. This is the level of insight. So concepts don't change, but the direct experience of the body is nothing but change. So when we touch into the body on this level, we'll see it's just this flow of changing sensations. There's nothing solid or permanent there at all. And sometimes in meditation, the the form of the body seems to almost disappear and where the edges of the body are and and other things begin. Where, Where is that? It's just this flow of tension and tingling and warmth and coolness and it's in constant motion. And sometimes it seems to be changing so rapidly that it's just like this subtle field of vibration. And there's nothing there to hold on to. So a pleasant sensation in the body is just that, and it's fine and great, but it doesn't last, an unpleasant one is the same. So we see that there's nothing there that we can hold on to as the source of our lasting happiness. No pleasant sensation, no pleasant experience. We see that it's, it's happening, it's changing and happening by itself. It's not that we're doing it. We're not in control of it. We're not in control of its tendency to age. We're not in control of the feelings and sensations that are coming there those are born of causes and conditions the body ages and dies because that's uh, the causes and conditions are there for that to happen that's the nature so we just see that it's its nature arising it's nothing permanent or solid nothing to hold on to and so this moves us in the direction of that that retreat description where we say we relax into the truth of the way it is and it releases the burden of having to manipulate or control it, we see that we can't actually, we aren't in control of it. It's it's just nature manifesting, following its own natural laws. Seeing the body in terms of the elements is interesting in terms of our, our tendency to claim ownership. So talking in this way, it doesn't mean that I don't have a body, and I'm not going to take care of it (laughs) and be kind and work, you know. I'll do that. But there's this other level of understanding of the body, also. We see it's not mine, it's just nature. (laughs) It's just a natural process. And seeing in the terms of the elements is really powerful. So is am I hardness? Am I roughness? Am I movement? Am I heat? Am I cold? No, these are just just nature and they're the same thing the body is the same as the rest of the world if i go out and i i touch my fingernails against a rock that's hardness well that's the same as that touching my teeth together That's just hardness i'll feel warmth if i stand in the sun coolness in the shade if it rains i'll feel that water flowing That's the same internally, same externally. So we see these elements comprise physical matter internally, externally. It's all just nature. (laughs) And, of course, the scientists will tell you that it's all the same stuff, right? It's just arranged in different ways. One of the things that the, the astronomers and cosmologists have seem to have discovered they talk about is the fact that the reason we have things that are heavier than just a gas like solid stuff like bodies and and cups and uh, cell phones and toasters is those kinds of heavier things is because of exploding stars when stars explode a supernova it's it's there's enough energy there that it makes Heavier elements, and those have been happening, and that's why we have stuff. <laughs> Otherwise, it would we wouldn't have any heavy stuff. So, so there's a song, you know, we are stardust. Well, it's literally true. <laughs> We're made out of the stuff of stars. Well, that's interesting. I don't know that I feel like stardust all that often. Hmm. I think I need to wrap this up. But we explore the body and we see that body and mind have this interesting relationship where the body has this effect on the mind, the mind this effect on the body. So when the mind is calm, the body relaxes. When there's agitation in the body, then the mind responds to that. When there's anger or shame in the mind, there might be heat or contraction in the body. If it feels too hot, we might see aversion in the mind. Or if we're sitting and there's strong unpleasant sensation, and the mind reacts to that. So they they're constantly influencing one another, and so let's. We see that mind knows but does not have form. Body has form but doesn't know. And so we, this is a um, dance of my, mentality of mind knowing materiality, body, mind knowing body. It's a dance. They come together. And so we start to explore our life in this very direct way and we can use mindfulness of the body as this very useful tool to start to see the subtle nature of all things it's a doorway into seeing the nature of all experience all of our lives somewhere I read or heard, or I don't know where this came from, but someone, teacher, once said, that what we're doing with this practice is giving back to nature what we mistakenly appropriated as our own. And I love this saying, because to me it really kind of points directly to something that is an aspect of this practice. When we see the body in this way this in terms of just this changing flow of natural processes and we see that that's happening here in this body and it's happening all around in the world and that it's all just nature there is this relaxation that happens there we give it back and there's a weight that is released in the doing of that there's there's some ease that happens. It doesn't mean we don't live our lives carefully and take care of the body. But we also know that it's just nature. We can let go of it. We don't have to hold on to it. So I want to end uh, with the, this quotation. This is from a teacher in Thailand who's a very famous teacher and, and was the teacher of, some uh, some teachers that you might have heard of. This was the monk who was the teacher of Ajahn Chah, who was a very famous um, monk who, um, the, the Amravati uh, Ajahn Sumedho and Amravati Sangha, um, that lineage, that tradition. His name was Ajahn Mun. And he said this, In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine the body's nature, see the elements that comprise it, see its impermanence, see the suffering, the selflessness of the body, while sitting, while standing, while walking or lying down. When the body's nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, lucidly, clearly by the heart. The wonders of the world will come become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. This beautiful expression of the body as this doorway into seeing the wonders of the world. <laughs> I love that. The purity of the mind, timeless, can shine forth through this doorway. So I'll stop talking now and we can sit just for a moment quietly and then I'll I'll ring my my chimes to end this period of this talk.